Hey there, everybody, and welcome to Cinema Drip Podcast, the podcast where we need movies like we need our coffee. As always, I am Scott Lentz, joined by my good friend and co-host, Christian Ubius. Christian, I see that you're working on a little, uh, maybe oatmeal over there. Is that what we got going on this morning? This is what we have going on this morning. Apparently, oatmeal is very healthy for people. I, I suppose so. It's supposed to be very... My coffee is brewing. Otherwise, I would have had my cup of coffee with me, which you seem to have. Indeed, I do, here on the Cinema Drip Podcast. We don't drink coffee while we record nearly as often as the title may suggest, but regardless, (laughs) when we record in the mornings, the coffee is necessary. So, had to make sure I was ready with that. Mm -hmm. Now, Christian, we have recently wrapped up our basketball blend of the month, and we are... All episodes are published, by the way. All episodes published and available for your listening pleasure, folks. And we're going to get to the April plan at the end of this episode, but we have a little bit of a transition here for you listeners with a multifaceted episode here, two major topics that we're going to hit on. And so, Christian, why don't you go ahead and introduce today's episode? Okay. We are going to be discussing the Academy Awards that occurred on March 12th, because we have spent absolutely no time talking about them whatsoever. And just kind of a, it's not going to be the biggest deep dive, but we are going to talk about the movies that came out last year, a little bit about the broadcast. And then we're going to segue into a movie that came out this year that will not be nominated for Academy Awards next year for Best Original Stunts or Best Stunt Performance because that is not a category that exists, but it is a category that you have championed for on this show. Indeed I have, and I will continue to do so because it only makes sense. But I, 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 I have I have some ideas for Academy Awards categories that I think you might agree with, but let's let's just start about the category. So Scott, at the 95th Academy Awards, everything everywhere all at once takes home the top prize and honestly most of the top prizes. Uh, indeed, they did. Everything everywhere was nominated for 11 awards and won seven, which is one of the biggest Oscar winners. In a long time, there's, there's been a recent trend, and this happened throughout the years, of course, but there's been a recent trend of the Academy kind of spreading the love a little bit, and that did not happen this year. <laughs> not only did Everything Everywhere win seven out of its 11 awards, but All Quiet on the Western Front also received a uh, large number of nominations with nine, and it won four of the technical awards. So those two movies combined to win 11 of the categories, and in fact, the only other movie that won multiple Oscars was The Whale. It won two of its three nominations. Everything Everywhere really was the big winner, but it, it really sucked up all of the uh, attention in the room after a certain point. Which, okay, when it, Everything Everywhere All at Once was your number one movie last year. It was. So I was uh, a little bit a little bit pleasantly surprised. I, I guess not because uh, I was surprised it won. I was surprised because there, there's so many award shows at this point that lead up to the Oscars that it was widely seen to be expected. <laughs> everything everywhere would win the awards that it won but there were still some happy moments some races that were up in the air that went everything everywhere's way and i was happy to see it go that way all right when is the last time that you can remember that your number one movie of the year won best picture i mean that's a difficult question partially because i mean even in i've been following the oscars maybe since like 2013 or 14 which is when i was same in high school and starting to get into movies beyond just the big popular movies that would come out in any given year. So I also didn't start seeing all 
all of the movies that get nominated. Like my the general tr um, goal that I set for myself is seeing every Best Picture winner and then trying to fit in as many from the top races as I can, like uh, Best Director, Best Actor and Actress, etc. And then filling in some blind spots where I can. So. I mean, there's, there are recent years where I haven't seen all of the movies nominated because I, I only started doing this in the last couple of years. So it's hard to say. Uh, I do know the year Birdman won, which I know is not only your favorite movie of that year, but perhaps of all time. I was really torn between that and Boyhood. So mm -hmm. at the time, really happy that Birdman won, although I was pulling for Boyhood a little bit. I'm also one of the only people in the world who really, truly loves The Shape of Water. <laughs> you are. <laughs> I was happy to see The Shape of Water win that year, even though that is a, in my opinion, a really, really good Oscars year. <laughs> you have Get Out and Lady Bird. You have Call Me By Your Name, a movie that I still haven't seen, but I know people adore. You have uh, among billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, which you are not the biggest fan of. Indeed. Indeed, I am not the biggest fan of. I think Martin McDonough did a much better job this year with another movie that received quite a bit of Oscar nominations, but zero Oscar wins, unfortunately. So, I, I mean, I think that might be it, because from there... Uh, I haven't seen Green Book, <laughs> so I can't weigh in there. Parasite was uh, is maybe my favorite movie of that year now. At the time, it was not. Nomadland, uh, I, I'm kind of cool on. I, I appreciate it more than I like it. Coda, again, another movie that I really like. It wasn't my favorite of last year, and so it's been a while. Uh, but what about you, Christian? Probably Birdman was the last movie that I truly well, that was my number one movie of the year. That also won Best Picture. Now, again, I, I guess like before then it might be Titanic. I don't see another movie beating out Titanic as my number one movie of that year. However, it, it's it's hard because, again, I haven't seen every movie every year. So it, it's so much what you're saying. That being said, um, I liked... I really like Coda. I liked Nomadland. What was the... Parasite? I mean, I love Parasite. Green Book is, is, it's just not a well-made movie. Like, I, and yet. <laughs> yes, racial tensions also there, but I just can't, I, 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 I'm not going to have a Green Book discussion right now. It just looks really funny when you look at the, the Oscars sort of in history, because it goes Moonlight which was this huge win. La La Land was seen as the traditional winner that year, and Moonlight was the surprise underdog winner. Then The Shape of Water, which wasn't as much of an underdog, but it was still this very strange movie, the sort of crowning of Guillermo del Toro and his sensibilities. And then Green Book, which is exceedingly conventional, <laughs> stereotypically so almost, to the point where even people at the Oscars are complaining about it, like Spike Lee, whose movie Black Klansman was up for Best Picture that year, and he actually won for Best Adapted Screenplay, uh, but he was on the red carpet talking about how Green Book was, quote, not his kind of movie, <laughs> so, and then after that, you go from Green Book into Parasite, which obviously is the first non-american movie like first international movie at least non-american language english language film to win best picture <laughs> into the COVID years so then nomadland which is, of course still very different type of movie than has traditionally won an oscar coda much smaller sundance movie and now everything everywhere all at once so it's it's a, such a funny little spot in recent academy awards history okay everything everywhere all at once wins best picture best director best original screenplay now Brendan Fraser wins Best Actor for The Whale. Indeed he does. I, You have seen The Whale, correct? Indeed I have. I very much do not like that movie. 
I'm it, with you. I'm with you there. It, and, and the thing is, I guess Brendan, Brendan Fraser is not doing a bad job whatsoever. I just really hate his character. Yeah, his... So, if you haven't seen The Will, Charlie is the name of his character, and, and Charlie is a morbidly obese man whose health is in great danger, and he's sort of getting his affairs in order during what could be the last few days of his life. And I, I mean, I had a lot of problems with the characters as well, and it feels like we are setting up Charlie to be this certain kind of person, this sort of self-reliant, don't-want-to-burden-anybody kind of person, but... They just consistently go back on what they've set up for his character. Like, he has this relationship with his estranged daughter that he's trying to restore and, and kind of do something positive with his remaining time. And their scenes are so painful to watch, not only because of the dynamic, but <laughs> because of how frustrating the characters are. And sometimes you want that experience from a movie. Like, a character can't always act exactly like you want them to because that would be extremely boring if <laughs> characters were not humans and they just made us happy all the time. But he also is going on and on and on about how he wants to, like, really reconnect with his daughter. and also, But then he's also not taking the natural steps to potentially save his life and, and get some medical care. Uh, it, it's he's just very, portrayed also as grotesque. Yeah. Which is one of my... It, he, they yes. purposely make it so that he looks like a disgusting individual. And, I mean, let, let me just say, as like a spoiler, not necessarily spoiler for the end of the movie, do you understand that at the end of the movie, he maybe has killed his daughter? Oh my gosh, what? <laughs> he... Okay. He basically I, has a heart attack, right? Yeah, I guess. He's fallen forward. Okay. Well, I hadn't thought about that. Uh, <laughs> Let's, all right. But the Let's, grotesqueness of the yeah. fat character, I agree, is one of the biggest sins of the movie. I know a lot of uh, some critics, some some not film critics maybe, but just writers and, and um, commentators made that complaint. And I think it's a valid one as it pertains to the whale. Yeah. I'm happy that Brendan Fraser has an Oscar, but it's one of those situations where... I'm happy for the person who won, but I'm sad that now it's going to be forever remembered as this is the movie that won him an Oscar, <laughs> you know? Let's move on to, well, before we move on to Best Actress, I'm, I'm truly sad for Austin Butler. He will be back, Christian. The Academy Awards hate to give Best Actor nominees, uh, or Best Actor wins to young actors. Women get to win young because they're ingenues, and then the Academy stops using them after they turn 40, Men have to wait because they get parts their entire careers. <laughs> We're going to put that aside for a second. Best it's actress, Michelle Yeoh. You know, Kate Blanchett, absolutely amazing, phenomenal performance. But Michelle Yeoh, I mean, how can you be disappointed in this victory? <laughs> Loved it. So good and everything everywhere. And it, it's amazing to see some recognition for a performer who not only had not been recognized by the Academy before, but who had typically appeared in the types of movies that don't get recognized for their acting at the Academy Awards. She had appeared in all kinds of action movies, comedies, animated movies. She's had a very wide-ranging career, and her particular set of skills is rarely rewarded by the Academy. But Michelle Yeoh getting to blend her martial arts and action sensibilities with also her comedic timing and the emotional depth that she can bring to a character as well it was it was given her this beautiful part 
in this super weird movie that somehow made a took a rocket ship ride to the Oscars. <laughs> it's just fantastic, and, and of course she becomes the second. Uh, woman of color to win the Best Actress uh, Academy Award, which 95 times, uh, only two who've won is a little bit depressing, but <laughs> at the same time, hopefully uh, it's an omen of good things to come. It's, now I, th this is one of my favorite performances of the entire year. She is by far my favorite part of everything, everywhere all at once. And it, and, and this is an issue with Okay, both of you, both you and I listen to podcasts about the Oscars. We're actually going to speed through some of the other categories, but I do want to take some time touching on some of the bigger aspects to this. It feels like a lot of people will dislike how unpredictable the Oscars are, despite liking the movie that wins, or like tight races. Now, I'm... Okay, so when we, when we watch sports, for example... We like it when it's a close game, right? When we see that both teams are playing at 100%. What is so wrong, and why do the Oscars need to be predictable? Because, or need to be unpredictable? Because, yes, I saw I saw the Michelle Yeoh win coming because of some precursors. We saw the Everything Everywhere All at Once win coming for months on end. But... The ceremony I found to be very enjoyable. I, I mean, I think the ceremony was enjoyable too, but after a certain point, it did get boring. <laughs> Hearing a lot of the expected winners win, or all quite on the Western Front winning in, in multiple categories, and I think the unpredictability, I, I should say, it, it's sort of a, it's a not a necessary quality of a good telecast, but I really think that it can elevate a telecast like the Moonlight win at the Academy Awards, which, you know, if listeners don't remember or didn't watch it, they announced La La Land as the winner because yeah. Warren Beatty and... Faye Dunaway. Oh my goodness, Faye Dunaway, thank you, were on stage and they were accidentally given Emma Stone's Best Actress envelope yeah. for a second time or one that was reprinted with it, whatever. And they were confused and they read La La Land even though it said Emma Stone and whatever. So they get on stage, and the producers are able to get the actual Best Picture envelope and say, guys, no, really, Moonlight won Best Picture. And it was the producers of La La Land able to graciously pass the award to the true winners, you know? And that is a, an Oscars moment etched in, in TV history. It's one of the, the last exciting Oscars moments that aren't marked with a, <laughs> a slap of any kind that we'll remember. And I think that unpredictability is what makes the show exciting. The chance to be to really genuinely go into the show and say, I don't know who's going to win Best Picture. I'm really pulling for everything, everywhere, all at once. But I could totally see it being Tar or whatever. That kind of quality, I think, makes people more interested to watch. And you identified sports as a comparison. And in sports, one of the beautiful things is that we just finished the March Madness tournament where a 16 seed defeated a number one seed for the second yep. time in history, a 15 seed made the Sweet 16 for the third time in history, a number nine seed made the Final Four. You know, part of the beauty of March Madness is that we have this unpredictability. And even the most storied programs and, and teams aren't guaranteed a trip to the Final Four or a championship. But and this, I think that's what the Oscars are missing. But, but again, this isn't sports though. This isn't like, a, oh man, who's going to win? Now, what makes everything predictable, though, is that there are precursor awards. Yeah. 
Right. The so, whole industry has spawned around what the Oscars began 95 years ago. I, I am kind of... Or what we're talking about, does anyone else care about this? Because we've, we've dedicated talk to the Oscars in the past. We didn't do it this year. Now, part of that had to do with like life changes that we were going through, but part of that also had to do with, I don't think we were missing anything by dedicating an entire episode and inviting Keenan on to talk about all the nominations. Yeah, I mean, I think the Oscars, uh, the, what's, what's nice is that the telecast actually had more viewers this 19 year million. Than, than in yeah. previous years. Yeah, it, it bottomed out at just over 10 for the Nomadland year, but it picked up last year and it continued to rise this year. So who knows? I don't, I don't think the Oscars are ever truly going to regain the popularity they, they once had. But I think there are obviously people that care. And I think for you and for me, like we said, the Oscars are, for some people, an entry point into a new way of, of understanding and watching movies. Because we can complain about the history of the Oscars all we want. Oh, this didn't even get nominated for Best Picture that year. How could Green Book win over whatever? But it's still a way for people to take that next step beyond just the biggest blockbuster movies of any given year. And especially going back, the Oscars you know, allow you to engage with types of movies you may not watch, whether it be costume dramas or historical dramas or international movies that got attention in some craft categories. The Oscars are deeply imperfect, but I think people will always care because there's always going to be people like you and me who are growing up and want to expand their movie horizons a little bit. And the Oscars are oftentimes the first step for that. And then you get to go into the wide world of film from there. A couple of things here. Uh, I'm only going to mention one other category because I want to talk about something else. And that's best animated, uh, best animated movie, which I really wanted Marcel to win, and I was happy when the promo for Marcel came on. And that's it. I like Marcel the Shell with shoes on. Now. We do love Marcel the Shell. I did watch Pinocchio. I think it was the last movie I fit in before the ceremony. I may have watched it that day, actually. Thought it was. Would you have been okay with Marcel winning though? Yeah, I, I would have. I I don't. I still don't think Marcel the Shell is an animated movie because there's several live action characters featured throughout. It's shot in a live action environment, but. I digress. I'm not mad that it was nominated at all. I really liked it. I really liked Pinocchio as well. I was glad to have finally caught up with it. I also thought Turning Red was, again, a really, really strong movie. And I hadn't seen Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. I did catch The Sea Beast. But just a really strong year for the category. I would have been happy with pretty much anything winning. I think The Sea Beast is a little bit weaker than those that were nominated. But, um, yeah, I was sad for Marcel, happy for Guillermo and his little wooden boy. Okay, now one of the reasons why it looks like the telecast got so many viewers this year is because movies were nominated that people seem to have actually seen. Yeah, it, it's funny to hear people complaining about how the Oscars, oh, the Oscars only nominate, you know, these like art films or dramas that 18 people saw. But this year we had Avatar The Way of Water, which is one of the five biggest movies of all time. <laughs> We also had Top Gun Maverick, the biggest movie of last year, received not only a Best Picture nomination, but was it six total nominations? Everything, Uh, everywhere, all at once. Everything, everywhere, all at once made over $100 million. Elvis made over $300 million? Is that where that got? I'm checking right now. I think almost $300. It made about $280. Yeah. So Elvis, again. So there are some really, really popular movies nominated. And you're mixing in things like... Triangle of Sadness and All Quiet on the Western Front, which are internationally beloved. Triangle of Sadness won the Palme d'Or at the Cannes Film Festival. All Quiet on the Western Front was sweeping European award ceremonies left and right. 
So I think this was a really diverse year for just the types of movies nominated. You had big entertaining crowd pleasers, you had European art <laughs> dramas, and you had smaller American dramas, the types of movies that typically get nominated. They were all mixed together in a pretty quality mix here. Now, I don't know, is this is this a trend? It's, it's not even a trend. I, I, I hesitate to think of what popular movies should or should not be nominated. Because sometimes, you know, a popular movie isn't great. Uh, absolutely. I mean, the, the fact of the matter is, if you go back and look at like uh, top ten box office movies of, of any given year, you're going to see a lot of movies that are good. One thumb up, you know? Or, or maybe they're fine. And I remember I did a little um, blog post once. I, I For a second, I thought I was going to become famous on Medium, the, the blog post Oh, platform. yes, yes. How's and, that working out? Uh, not great. And mm-hmm. I did do an article, like a blog that I wrote about ways to improve the Academy Awards. And for my little, my small amount of research that I did for that, I did a, what if the Academy did a box office recognition award? Kind of a way to shout out the number one movie of any given year. And I remember going back, and the reason that would never work is because it's always a sequel. It's Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2. It's Avengers Endgame. <laughs> or it's something much worse, like Transformers Dark of the Moon, or whatever Transformers movie happened to be number one that year. And it would just be painful to see the Academy dedicate airtime in an already overlong and crowded telecast to a movie that is not good. <laughs> Although I, I like uh, Harry Potter movies. I like... Marvel movies. It's just okay, we were talking let's about. Let's look at this year, though. The, probably the highest grossing movies that are going to come out this year are Transformers: Rise of the Beasts. <laughs> uh, it's Speaking Mission of. Impossible: Dead Reckoning Part One. Oh, we can only hope that's one of the biggest moves of the year. If those movies keep making more money every time, and I just I hope the trend continues. Uh, probably what? I mean, Oppenheimer and Barbie are in a weird spot, where. They look like they could be in the hundreds of millions of dollars range, but we're not sure yet. Christopher Nolan's movies always make boatloads of money. Tenet was released in 2020 with a pandemic and still made like $300 million at the box office. So who knows? Oppenheimer could be huge, even though it's a dark historical drama about the guy who helped invent the atomic bomb. And Greta Gerwig, we were just talking, speaking of Keenan Culler, he, w- he was saying, you know, I love Greta Gerwig, but she doesn't make movies that people necessarily want to see, so I'm not sure that Barbie's going to get seen. And I was like, Keenan, what are you talking about? <laughs> because Lady Bird made $79 million on its way to a Best uh, Picture nomination, and Little Women made over $200 million yeah. at the worldwide box office on its way to a Best Picture nomination. So I love you, Keenan, but Barbie, I really think, is going to be uh, a box office hit. And I'm the not trailer sure like top for Barbie we'll looks sick. <laughs> it's so good. I'm so but, excited. No, I, I will say it looks like this is going to be highly memeable territory. Absolutely. With, I think with, they're leaning into that. Which is good. Which is good. Um, now, I have just one thing that I think might, might be cool. I, I told you that I wanted to introduce a category into the Academy Awards. Yes. Or um, there have been some discussions because other award shows have done this as to eliminating the gendered aspect of acting categories. And uh, they want to instead do a best lead actor slash actress and do 10 nominees in that. I'm thinking instead of doing that, why don't we just do best dramatic leading actor and best comedic leading actor? 
the old the Golden Globes approach. The Golden Globes approach, but you can be I you can be whichever gender you identify for it, because comedies are almost never spotlighted at the Academy Awards. Now there are many reasons for that. It's not necessarily all the Academy's fault. Part of it is also that it's harder nowadays for comedies to earn money, and also less so of them are being made. But I, th I think that that might be an interesting thing to tack on. What are your thoughts? I, I don't know if that would work, especially if we're going to, to do, go for genderless categories where there's going to be 10 dramatic nominees and 10 comedic nominees. No, 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 five and five. Five and five, okay. So if we're doing five and five, I, again, I'm unsure because I, I do like that the Golden Globes does that and notably they only do it for leading performances supporting actor and actress are still just one category i think that we should do it for both so i, I don't know like you said because comedies really aren't getting made as often as they used to be and the sort of breakout stars who would be in those kinds of movies like melissa mccarthy for example who actually did receive an oscar nomination for her role in bridesmaids those those types of roles are so much fewer and farther between these days and i'm just not sure if there's enough being made right now and that that's cyclical in the industry too right like genres come and go and until mainstream comedies come back in a way that it would make sense to to find five nominees i think we would get into an unusual rhythm where the fourth and fifth nominees in the comic performances would would be from either not good movies or it would just be name recognition awards so you get to a point where you know not at this point in his career but will ferrell someone like will ferrell or adam sandler is getting multiple retroactively like yeah in in a single decade but it's 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 we're trying to do our best because the academy awards right now are the biggest award ceremony across any and all mediums and they might be the biggest award ceremony right now because they refuse to dilute themselves and their brand by splitting up. So I think the Grammys would be a completely different story if the Grammys said we're only going to do best song, best album, best um, I don't know, best record, and best new artist. If they were like, those are our four categories, we would be looking at a completely different award ceremony. Yeah, I mean, the Grammys, I don't know, it's an entirely entirely different beast there and it, and they're even uh <laughs> more easily criticized at times than the oscars are but i think for music it does make a little bit more sense since uh, we're all working in the same genres obviously to just kind of evaluate on those terms so who knows maybe the the genderless categories make sense for the oscars but we'll see look we're, we're trying things <laughs> we're trying things we need to do some things so yeah there i mean there are a lot of potential categories. Let's, let's move on, though. Let's move on to your best, so, your best stunt performance, let's and it. let's use that as a segue because every single year, it is kind of hard to do best stunt because you don't always know what is CGI, what is stunt work within a movie. However, something that has had incredible stunt work this year is John Wick Chapter Four. Absolutely, it's had incredible stunt work. So. Let's segue into that. Now, John Wick Chapter 4, we both... Well, I saw it with you, and it was your second time seeing it. Yes. We also saw it with Paul Yoder and his friend Troy. Yeah. Shout out Paul, friend of the podcast, and Troy, who has not appeared on the podcast at any point, but is a great guy. We don't know if he's a great guy, though. Yes, I, I personally do know that he's a great guy, Christian. 
<laughs> that was not the first time I met Troy. No, that was the first time I met Troy. <laughs> anyway, John Wick Chapter 4, if, if uh, you have missed it, folks, of course, continues the John Wick franchise, which began back in 2014, and we covered here on the show. But it follows the continuing adventures of John Wick, who, after the third movie is now preparing to exact revenge on the high table the organization that sits over this criminal assassin world that he is a part of and he looks to engage some old allies in his quest while of course new enemies rise and bring back even more people from his past to try and stop him on this quest uh, chapter 4 has been a huge runaway success at the box office as well. Although it's the most expensive John Wick movie by far with a budget of $100 million, it has already brought back close to 250 at the global box office. It's been a, a, a giant success financially and critically as well. The reviews are very positive, very positive reviews from average folks like us as well. One of the biggest successes of 2023 so far, all things considered. And and a lot of people are now clamoring for John Wick Chapter 5, despite the ways that this movie wraps up the story. So, Christian, I am curious, as someone who is much more skeptical of the original John Wick and who has been slowly filling in the rest of the series, I'm curious to your thoughts. And I'm grateful to know that you at least liked it. You told me that you liked it. You gave it the heart on Letterboxd. So I'm curious on your thoughts about John Wick Chapter 4. I... It took it took me a while. My skepticism was, was weighing on me as I sat down to watch this movie. Because even as I watched John Wick Chapter 4, I said, one, if these people have entirely too much dialogue, that does not work for me. I do not like the line readings in almost any of the line readings for any of the John Wick characters, except for... Shaking my head at you. It is. Except it for is. who, Christian? Except for who? Well, one is Lance Reddick. R.I.P. Rest in peace. Yeah, Lance Reddick sadly passed away just before the, re- the worldwide release of the movie. So the, he does get a little dedication at the end of the credits, thankfully. Also, Ian Machine. He Those... was fantastic. <laughs> in, in this movie and in every John Wick movie. But outside of that, I, I just... I hate when they try to world build the high table. I do. I, 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 all of it comes out as forced, as, as trying to be too performative. But when you get rid of those lines and you just have Keanu Reeves driving a car in circles around other cars for an endless like five minutes just shooting at the people around the Arc de Triomphe. There I is thought, a moment. Yeah. <laughs> In this movie, where John Wick is is pulling off a donut in a car and just mm-hmm. leaning out, he's doing a donut around these two cars where henchmen have shown up, and he's At just unloading his gun on these guys. And Christian, you started cackling is the only way I can describe it, maniacally, just laughing your head off. Yep. I was looking around our theater like, what do these people think of my friend? Hysterically oh. laughing as John Wick shoots eight more dudes. Are you telling me no one else is laughing? I I I can't remember if anybody else is laughing. I was very I think very Paul was laughing. Take Paul Paul was giggling his way through that movie as well. Uh, something that I've really appreciated. It's so ridiculous. It is, and something that I've appreciated. Other critics have noticed is that there's almost a Looney Tunes sensibility at this point to the franchise, and 
the original John Wick, it, despite some of its flourishes, like allusions to this world, the Continental Hotel, of course, is introduced in that movie as the rules of the assassin world. It's still more grounded. It's the story, a simpler story of revenge. Former assassin, sad because his wife passed away, gets this dog <laughs> as a gift from her. Loser gangster steals his car, kills his dog. Naturally, he's going to go on a quest of revenge. But now John Wick Chapter 4, we've expanded the scope so much beyond that. But even so, we've also expanded the, the action in a way where now this, like, uh, this cartoonish sensibility kicks in where John is falling off of buildings, getting hit by cars, falling down staircases. And as you've noticed, Christian, <laughs> kept leaning over to me to say, he just gets right back up. <laughs> and any other normal person would have at least broken bones, some kind of internal trauma, and yet he's back up and, and fighting guys with guns or fists or thrown guns or nunchucks or whatever else is available to him. And that's one of the beauties of this franchise, not only in the on-screen sensibility of the invincibility of the Wick character, but also in the real stunt performers who are putting their bodies on yeah, his bones are pretty much like you could you could mix them into a coffee or a tea. I'm pretty sure. He Some just kind of falls from everywhere, and he doesn't stop falling. Okay, now what's funny is that the the chapter three ends a little bit of a spoiler, of course, if you haven't caught up with the whole franchise, folks. But chapter three does end with somebody, an ally of John, turning on him, shooting him, and not killing him, but the force of it knocks him off of a building. He falls and hits his head <laughs> multiple times. And of course, chapter four begins with him training in this secret place that he's been staying to recover from his injuries. And later on in the movie, he literally jumps out of a building and falls, not to the ground, of course, but to a metal van sitting <laughs> parked. He crashes into it and gets up and keeps moving. So John, at this point, has maybe made some deal with the devil or some other <laughs> deity, otherworldly, other god of some kind to survive every injury or wound possible but <laughs> it makes for a fun movie now well it does make for a fun movie there are points in which i wasn't fully bought in like when we were in the osaka continental hotel and they were passing all of these swords i thought okay they're just putting this in here so that someone can grab a sword so that there, there's no need for this museum to be Absolutely. inside of this hotel Absolutely. There, there's there's a very fun trend in the Wick movies of that they'll point something out and be like, hey, look at this. And you think, oh, that's interesting. I wonder how John Wick is going to kill somebody with that later on. And the, the walk through the training area of the Osaka Continental is one of those moments where you think, oh, that's a lot of swords uh, and other weapons. I'm curious to see where this goes. But I am impressed. But I mean, not impressed. This is one of the best movies that I've seen this year because of how long these action scenes go on. They're not just some 30 or 45 seconds, sometimes they're minutes on end. And there are some quick cuts, but the cuts are much longer than you would normally expect in an action movie. It just showcases a, a, a greater array of what is on display there. That is one thing I've always loved about these movies is that the people making them really want to show off the skills of the performers, whether it's Keanu Reeves as the star who does his own stunts or the stuntman, who this is the fifth movie he's worked on this year and he's made a hundred or whatever, but he's, you know, he's going to go fight John Wick and, and do his part of getting shot in the face. 
that they really want to show the work on screen and not have it get lost in the editing room. And that's a strength of the editing, of course, where being able to sew these long action sequences together seamlessly, but also a strength of Chad Stahelski as the director here, who with a history in stunts, he of course was, he worked on The Matrix with Keanu Reeves, and David Leach, who we talked about last year, was the co-director of the first John Wick movie, who was Reeves's stunt double. You know, we, we have this legacy uh, of putting the work on screen, and it's what makes these movies set apart. Not only in that they're not losing everything in the editing room, but really bringing together these massive action sequences that are like a roller coaster. They're satisfying every time. But anything else you would like to say about John Wick Chapter 4, which is, has had a very, very strong run at the box office so far and will probably continue it's... to grow. I mean, there's so much that I would want to say about this movie just in general. I will say the new cast members here, in my opinion, are fantastic across the board. And that makes Shamir sense Anderson that is fantastic. Yeah, Shamir Anderson playing Mr. Nobody, this guy who's tracking John Wick for one of the villains, and also, like Wick, has a trusted canine companion. Uh, Donnie Yen, who's a, a martial arts movie yes. legend, shows up as a blind assassin named Kane, who, again... The creativity that they bring to the table with with his blindness, uh, I think, is really well done. At, at one point, he uses these sort of doorbell-like yeah. <laughs> devices to tell him where goons are, and he, as he knows, so he can like aim his gun and take them out. Bill Skarsgård, especially, uh, he shows up as the main antagonist, the Marquis Vincent de Gramont. This. Member Ooh, of the Star high table. is fantastic in this he's movie. So he's so good. Yes. He's this member of the high table who is trying to like secure his own legacy. Obviously, Skarsgård is a younger actor by killing John Wick. And that's going to be his... He's already on the high table, but of course, that's going to be his ticket to power for the rest of his life. And this guy could have just been, you know, an obnoxious villain that any actor could have sunk their teeth into. But what Bill Skarsgård does with the character is so much more fun to watch because the Marquis has all of these little flourishes, like almost animalistic, like where he will sort of like flex his mouth or like squint or grimace in the middle of a sentence as people are talking to him. It's hard to describe, like he'll flick his tongue. I mean, he does all of these strange little acting choices that totally work for how just insane <laughs> this character is. And he is so fun to watch in, in the movie. With that being said, Scott, that is our episode for today. Some nice discussion on the Oscars and also John Wick Chapter 4. A little two-part episode here for you folks. Some, some looking back, some looking at a new release. It was a good time. I could have talked for probably 30 more minutes about both, obviously. But more to discuss, but still just uh, a good time here on the there's no doubt in my mind john with chapter four is going to make one of your at least the mid-year list i mean it's going to be there for sure i can tell you that <laughs> i'm sure it'll end up on the top 10 at the end of the year if we're having an everything everywhere all at once moment with john wick chapter four i saw that movie in march of last year and it was number one on the list at the end of the year <laughs> all right so scott my month is over this upcoming month april Tell us what we're going to be doing. Indeed. So, of course, there's a very big movie about to release in theaters. By the Are you talking about the movie Air, directed by Ben Affleck? That's right, Christian. It's time for Shoe Month here on the Cinema Drip Podcast. No, I am so excited to see Air. So we are covering Like Mike, then. <laughs> 
We're covering Like Mike and The Cobbler, starring Adam Sandler. No, we are not going to be talking about Air on the show, although I'm sure we will both see it. What we are going to be talking about is a different movie that is also releasing. At, I mean, it's out today. We're recording mm-hmm. on Wednesday the 5th, but it will be out this weekend for everybody. And that is the Super Mario Brothers movie. I will say, Christian, I'm a little bit anxious about this movie, especially as the reviews are coming out and are seeming a little bit mixed, but we will evaluate the movie for ourselves, mm-hmm. and we will see how Chris Pratt does as the, the mustachioed Italian plumber. But we're going to take that new release review of the Super Mario Brothers movie and spin it off into a larger theme of video games for our April mm-hmm. blend of the month. Now, I'm not decided on all of the movies that we will be covering. I will say, the movie... the video game to movie adaptation game is not very good (laughs) you get a lot of bad movies so what we will be more likely looking at is movies that are using video games as a theme whether it's creating a new video game for the characters to play getting the characters from the real world into the video game or something else similar to that. So we'll be looking at video games more broadly as a theme, not video game adaptations. Never fear, listeners. We will not be touching on (laughs) Tom Holland's Uncharted or Angelina Jolie's Tomb Raider movies. What about Uh, uh, Mortal Kombat? No Mortal Kombat's to be found. Although watching the original Mortal Kombat from the 80s could maybe be fun. I know that movie is sort of a cult classic and has its fans. So who knows? Maybe we'll have another bonus episode in our future. But that's where we're going, folks. And we're starting with the brand new Super Mario Brothers movie, which hopefully if schedules align. We'll get our friends, the Color Brothers, on to talk about that with us. The Super Color Bros, if you will. So go check out the Mario movie in theaters this weekend and then join us for our review of it next week on the show. Christian, what's your level of anticipation for the Mario movie on a scale from 1 to 10? I mean, level of it? Yeah, let's go with a 10. I'm excited. We're seeing it in 3D together. It's it's my birthday movie. I have to wish it to existence. (laughs) I hope it's good for your birthday's sake, Christian. But, of course, folks, that is our show. So if you are still here and still listening, we greatly appreciate you and your support of the show. There are a few things that you can continue to do, of course, to help us reach new listeners. Number one, please do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a rating or a review if applicable. Just helps us reach new listeners on those platforms. And it's great to see those five-star reviews come in. So thank you to those who have done so already. And please do go ahead and leave a review if you have not already. You can also send us an email at cinemadrippodcast at gmail.com. Christian and I are regularly checking that email inbox looking for listener feedback, whether it's a movie you want us to discuss on the show, your thoughts on one of our reviews, or if you have a whole idea for a blend of the month, maybe you're really pumped about air and you want us to do a Ben Affleck director blend of the month, that's obviously something we could consider. So would love to know what you actually want us to discuss here on the show. So send that in to cinemadrippodcast at gmail.com. Of course, if you just have some general thoughts you want to share and want your email shouted out on the show, that'd be awesome too. You can also follow myself and the show on Twitter, Christian on Instagram, and the both of us on Letterboxd, where we are regularly rating and reviewing the things that we are watching. Christian, any final thoughts for the folks listening along at home? Mm, yeah. What? Was that a yeah? Eat oatmeal. Alright, eat oatmeal, folks. That That's your <laughs> marching orders from General Christian. <laughs> 
I'm Scott, he's Christian, and until next time, this has been the Cinema Drift Podcast.